Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. The instinct that I think that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and that's what I put the assessment around, is the instinct to actually create process. And so within that, there's three different types that we've identified. Um, and the idea is, so if you are a specific one, the flexible adapter, the fine tuner, or the structured planner. So if you're a flexible adapter, you're the kind of person that wants to shortcut systems or process. You like to multitask. You don't want to do the same task over and over again. Um, you probably will be the first person to blow up a system or process. You'll make messes with those kinds of things. And you might be very flexible about how you're going to get things done. So if you're that kind of person, then you're going to need, say, a structured planner, which is a person that wants to create new and detailed systems or processes. They have an instinct toward establishing visual and systems orders, and they have an instinct to providing consistent experiences, products, and services time and again. And if you're a flexible adapter, you need a structured planner when you need those things. But the problem is, is that conflict is likely to occur in that relationship because a flexible adapter's random approach is going to frustrate the structured planner's need for structure and order. And so like that's an example of sort of what you, how to think this through. And so then the next step to that is then if you do need somebody like that. So for me, I absolutely need people like that in my business to make it work well. Um, I have to be able to know how to work with that person so that they don't frustrate me and I don't frustrate them. So that's a lot of the work that we're doing with our clients is that next step. How do you figure that out? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nicole, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I was introduced to you by way of Selena Sue, who has been standing as a steady stream of amazing people uh, to talk to you here on the Unmistakable Creative. And uh, the more I got to learn about your work, the more I was intrigued by it. But uh, I want to start with uh, one of my favorite questions, and that is, what did your parents do for a living? And what impact has that ended up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? So my mother is, was, is a hairdresser and my father is a blacksmith. And so we're talking to people that um, are in sort of trade type um, jobs. And, you know, my parents are really, um, in their own way, super creative people. Um, they, you know, my mother is like really honestly an artist. Like it's one of the saddest things of my life that when I see how talented my mother is at her art, that it isn't known by the world, that she hasn't been able to be recognized for that talent and that it hasn't, you know, been something that has been taken out further into this world. And the same thing is about my father because, in his own way, he's he's very much the same way. He's a perfectionist at his at his trade, which is also a craft, um, and it's just amazing the the things that he does with his hands. But it's funny because you know I am not um, creative in the sense that I create things with my hands, like my mother being an artist and she does wood carvings and she paints and I mean and it's all amazing and and just beautiful work. And my dad, who also creates things with his hands, um, I I'm more of the kind of person that thinks with my mind. So as an adult or as a child. I think I struggled a little bit with this idea about, um, you know, what was my brand of creativity? Who was I, um, you know, what, what was I going to bring to the world? How was I going to express myself in the world? I had a lot of struggle with that as a young person. Um, and it really, I think, has led to sort of what I would say is part of my lifelong quest about what is the way that I express myself in the best way and who am I and how can I bring what value I might have 
to the world, to the table, like just because of the bo- the real creativity that they have. Mm-hmm. On top of that, though, I will say that my both my parents are also self-employed people. And a lot of my family are self-employed people. And it's interesting because though, I will say that despite that, my family are self-employed people in the genre of they work and and they live and they work. And that's all that is really that what their life is about. And that is also something that I knew I did not want as I grew as I got older, that I didn't want my whole life to be about the next client, the next paycheck, the next, the next, the next, um, because I experienced that so much with the grind of being a small business person with both of my parents. Mm-hmm. How do people find what it is that they're meant to express in the world? And, and how do you help people find that in your own work? So I think that finding what you're meant to express in the world is, um, is a process. It's a journey and it can take a lot of different shortcuts over the over time, you know, depending on the type of person you are and depending on your own background and history. And I think one of the things that really people make a mistake about that is um, trying to pinpoint themselves into a into a box or making themselves go into a certain idea of who they need to be or who they think they want to be. Um, because, you know, for example, uh, me growing up in this sort of creative family, I could have like pinpointed myself that I had to grow up as some type of artist, but that was never going to be my path and it never could have been my path. I like to do artistic things, but I'm really not very good at it. And I'd never be pleased with myself if that's what I really tried to be as an artist. Um, my artistry is with my mind. So one of the ways that we really um, help people to pinpoint what they're the best at and what their unique value in the world is, is to really start thinking about the things that give you mental energy and the things that take your mental energy away. Mm-hmm. Because we've all had that experience in life where you did something and like hours and hours went by and you didn't even know the time went. It was just so effortless to do. And that's a gift. That And we take those times for granted on some level. They feel great, but we take them for granted because sometimes things are so easy for us that because if it doesn't feel like work, we don't feel it has value. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, we, we disregard those things in our life. Yet pro- for most of us, those things are the things that we are really where our true value lies. But then conversely, we have all, so many things that literally suck the life out of us that we might do in a day. And especially if you're an entrepreneur, um, that's a really big trap to fall in is doing all the things that suck the life out of you because that inhibits your creativity. It inhibits your ability to make money and to provide value to clients. And so even just identifying those things and really drilling down into those things can be super helpful to people to be able to understand what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. So walk me through um, kind of the trajectory of your career that has led you to this point, um, the various businesses that you've started and how your definition of success has changed over time. And also, you know, how has your perspective on money and wealth changed over all of this? So my family, very hardworking family, 
um, everybody. You know, my grandparents were born and and were raised in the Depression era, and so you know, there's always little funny things that happen if you ever have a relative that's been uh, born in that era. Is they they do funny things. They may have worked really hard their whole life and saved a bunch of money, but they'll do things like my grandparents would save everything, like these, you know, anything that had. Um, aluminum foil, they'd save it. So, you know, I grew up in sort of this mentality of lack in my family, where it was like, we could go through the depression and we have to save everything because we never know when the next catastrophe is going to hit. And I think um, when you're raised with that type of mentality, the idea of being able to really um, make money and to be the kind of person that can make money and have an abundance and an excess feels almost uncomfortable. For me, it it was like this idea that, um, you know, I'd be too greedy if I wanted to be successful and make money. And, you know, it was just all going back to that. Um, I think that, my mind shift really ch- happened though when so one of the things i always talk to people about is this idea that we sort of run away f- we actually re- move away from pain more than we move toward pleasure mm-hmm. um that we're more driven by moving away from pain than moving toward pleasure and so i had an experience where i had um I'd gone through a divorce and my, you know, in my previous marriage, I was very well situated. I had, um, you know, my husband was very successful. We lived in Hawaii. We had everything, you know, our, our lives were amazing. Um, I was going to law school. I got a great job as a lawyer. I mean, I was doing all of these things and I was all set. And then I got divorced. And for me, when I got divorced, that meant moving back home to Michigan, And so I went from like living in paradise, having this whole great life to sort of moving back to Michigan. It was in the middle of the recession. Everything was horrible. And everybody was like, you are out of your mind. What are you doing? And all I could think in that time of my life was, I cannot fail. I cannot let this be my defining moment that I'm going to be this person that got divorced and then sunk into the abyss. And I'm going to be like this total loser. I mean, this was like the way I was thinking back then. And so I, you know, started my own business and I started working and then I started making money and my paralyzing thoughts of my youth started happening. Like, oh, I can't have this abundance. I can't have the success. Who am I to be greedy? I mean, you know, I had all these thoughts, but I became a mother. And what happened to me at that point was that I was like, I can have an abundance and it's okay because I can provide value back to the world because of the abundance that I have, whether it's through my child, through my employees, my team, through giving back, whatever that is, whatever my abundance is, making money is not this evil thing. So I had to really go through all of it, but it was a lot through moving away from pain that brought me to that thought process. Why do you think it is that some people get defined by experiences like that and other people grow as a result of experiences like that? Um, I think it's just really, I I do think that part of it has to do with the mindset that you can cultivate for yourself. And some of that is driven by things that happen to you when you're young. 
I, I do believe that that's it. So if you've never been in the experience of somebody that can help you have an abundance mindset or help you have a mental strength mindset or help you get through things in that way, in the in the right mindset, um, you don't have the experience of it. You don't know how to think that way. For me, the only reason why I ever was able to think that way was because I'm an avid reader. My whole life I've read I mean, I've read thousands of books in my life, and I sort of learned from the characters and books about how to have a strong mindset. And I didn't apply it until I got to that point in my life, though. Mm. How do other people shift from uh, a scarcity based mindset to an abundance mindset? And how do they become aware that they have a scarcity mindset? I think that it's through their associations with other people that people can move from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. Um, for example, I mean, it can be as simple as if you're listening to this podcast, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, you're being exposed to new ideas and it's changing the way that you think. And the idea behind that is that you take it and you apply it to your life. So it can be as something as profound as listening to a podcast, as profound as reading a book from associating directly with people that are going to help you raise your mental game. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I always am trying to do is associate with people that I admire and maybe I feel like are, you know, I'm doing air quotes here out of my league. Um, because I feel like by doing that, by learning from them, by um, knowing them, that I'm just going to be able to raise my own mental game. And that's always something that I've tried to do my whole career is to do that. So it can be, there's a lot of ways that you can move from that mindset. It's really about just putting yourself in the situation. Well, let's do this. I want to spend the, the the rest of the majority of our time talking about two things, you know, uh, that I read about on your about page. One is, you know, the idea of building uh, an entrepreneurial dream team and how to do that. Um, what prompted you to really kind of develop a system for this? Because I know you, know you also mentioned that you nearly ran yourself into the ground working 80 to 100 hours a week. So I want to hear about that. And then I want to get into this entrepreneurial instinct type to figure out, you know, what are the various entrepreneurial instinct types and how do people figure out where theirs are? Okay. So why did I start this team building thing? Well, so going back to that part where I was saying how I had moved away and I'd started another company and then I became a mother, like all of this happened over the course of a couple of years. But when I was building my company, I realized that if I wanted to have any freedom from it, I actually had to have people that work for me. And I'm not, I mean, it sounds sort of silly, like when I say it out loud and you know, if somebody might be listening to me like what you do, like that it took you that to realize it. But it was literally like I, once again, I was raised with this mentality that you had to do everything yourself. Like, you know, that you had to be the strong person and you had to be standing on your own two feet and you know, pain, no pain, no gain. And so it was like, it was like this revelation to me in a way that, Oh, in order to be able to have a life, I actually have to have a team. So I started hiring people and I quickly discovered that just hiring people was not a simple process for um, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, one of the things I've always actually been able to do is make money. And so I, that's something I could do. I, I, you know, I start a business, I can make money. But I realized when I started hiring people that 
the skill set that might make you a great entrepreneur are, is not the skill set that makes you a great leader of a great team. It's two totally different things. And that was um, a big deal for me because when I was able to realize that, I was able to do something about it. Um, but to even go back from that, you know, I had to go through many, many team members before I had that realization and before I had the realization that, you know, so many times like entrepreneurs and people that I work with will say to me or team, you know, business leaders, business owners will say to me, well, I don't understand what's wrong with these people. Like, why can't they just do it? Like, why don't they get it? Like, I don't understand. It's not that complicated. What's the problem? And now what I would say back to somebody sometimes, because I had the same realization is maybe the problem isn't them. It's you. And a lot of times it is because we're getting in our own way to be able to help our team be good team members for us. Mm-hmm. It's really not that simple. And part of it has to do with the way that we instinctively take action. So the entrepreneurial instinct type assessment that I created is really um, born out of this not even, and this isn't something that I made up, by the way, like it's well known in the fields of psychology and philosophy that there are actually three parts of the mind. And one of the parts of the mind is related to our instincts to action. And this is a hardwired thing in, in us. And so if I'm the type of person that has an instinct to shortcut systems and processes, but I need somebody that's going to be very detailed in system and process that there, that is their instinct to be very detailed in system and process. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I don't really understand that way of thinking. Like I can value it. I value detailed systems and processes, but I can't think of how to approach that problem because it's not my instinct. My instinct is to shortcut. Mm-hmm. So if you're like me, if your instinct is shortcut, the idea that you, if you need somebody that's going to create very structured systems and processes, which, oh, of course, by the way, if you're a business owner, you absolutely need, um, you don't really have an intuition about how to manage somebody like that because their way of thinking is so different than yours. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of what led me to, I had to first realize all of this, and then I had to figure out a way to create a system or a process around how to work with people that had different instincts than myself. Hmm. And it was all born out of my own bad experience at trying to bring on a team and be a good leader to a good team. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, so a couple of questions come from this. Do you have a breakdown? So you mentioned the systems and processes uh, instinct type. What are the multiple instinct types? And how do you take uh, what your own instinct type is and then build a team that you would call your dream team around that? Which so, I realize is a big question. Yeah, this is. So I'm, I'm going to, I'll just tell you for the, for the assessment that I have, it, it's, anybody can access on my website. It really only comes out with three specific instincts. And these are only related to the way that you structure systems and processes. So like another instinct that you might have is how do you gather and share information? Another instinct that you have uh, besides this is how do you um, approach risk? Right. So some of us approach risk and we're very gravitate. We gravitate toward risk. We want to chase the bright, shiny object, whereas there are other people that gravitate toward the status quo and towards stabilization. So, you know, there's that. And then there's also the instinct to actually physically create. So with your hands, create an object of art to, you know, to create you know, to woodwork, to build cabinets, to, you know, whatever it is to actually physically create with your hands, or can you just imagine it in your head? So there's all those different instincts. Um, but the instinct that I think that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and that's what I put the assessment around, is the instinct to actually create process. And so within that, there's three different types that we've identified. Um, and the idea is, so if you are a specific one, the flexible adapter, the fine tuner, or the structured planner. So if you're a flexible adapter, you're the kind of person that wants to shortcut systems or process. You like to multitask. You don't want to do the same task over and over again. Um, you probably will be the first person to blow up a system or process. You'll make messes with those kinds of things. And you might be very flexible about how you're going to get things done. So if you're that kind of person, then you're going to need, say, a structured planner, which is a person that wants to create new and detailed systems or processes. They have an instinct toward establishing visual and systems orders, and they have an instinct to providing consistent experiences, products, and services time and again. And if you're a flexible adapter, you need a structured planner when you need those things. But the problem is, is that 
conflict is likely to occur in that relationship because a flexible adapter's random approach is going to frustrate the structured planner's need for structure and order. And so like that's an example of sort of what you, how to think this through. And so then the next step to that is then if you do need somebody like that. So for me, I absolutely need people like that in my business to make it work well. Um, I have to be able to know how to work with that person so that they don't frustrate me and I don't frustrate them. So that's a lot of the work that we're doing with our clients is that next step. How do you figure that out? Okay. So how do you go about figuring that out? And it, like, how would people look at the teams that they're currently working with and figure out where people fall into this? Well, one of the things that would be really simple is just have everybody on the team take the, the assessment. It's free. So it doesn't, you know, that's easy. And then you can look at it. And one of the, um, the thing is, is like, this is going to be different for every person. So I'll give you the example for like my flexible adapter to a structured planner thing. Um, because like, let's say you're a structured planner, how you're going to f- um, approach a flexible adapter is totally different than the way a flexible adapter is going to approach a structured planner. So anyway, without making it overly complicated, the idea is, so for example, if I'm the kind of person that's very likely to shortcut a system or process and I want to work on things simultaneously, it's going to feel very chaotic to somebody that's much more structured and wants to have system and process and to follow it. And it has to be done that way every single time. And so in order for us to work well together, I have to allow them the time to create the system or process and they have to allow for me to be able to know when a shortcut can be made and to be able to implement the shortcut. Because sometimes we don't, we follow process just for the sake of following it. It may not be the most efficient thing. We have to be able to allow for that with each other. And so a lot of it is how do we have a conversation about that? How do we set the rules and the guardrails around our communications and our team environment so that we are working well, we're having constructive conflict, not destructive conflict in getting these things done. Um, Because my approach to that person is going to be different than their approach to me. Mm -hmm. Where have you seen people go completely just wrong with this and and have it, uh, you know, have things get derailed? Oh, gosh. You know, people are. So, first of all, when people are bringing on team, one of the things that I see all the time, and especially in today's sort of online Facebook environment, is people will do things like they'll be like, I need a VA. Does anybody have a great VA? And so then people will chime in here, you call this person, you know, and people are posting, there's 50 people. And then, but the thing is, what do you need a VA for? What are they going to be doing? What are their actual tasks that you need for them to actually be accomplishing for you? Do you even know? (laughs) You know, there are so many people that they say they need a VA, but they're not exactly sure what they're going to have that person do. Like that's probably the biggest mistake. Mm -hmm. And then just saying you need a VA, but without being clear about what is it that that VA is going to be expected to do, how is anybody going to be able to give you a good suggestion about who might be good for that job? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like the lack of clarity is huge and even bringing on a team member for many entrepreneurs. And of course, a lack of clarity is the enemy of success. So 
the thing is, is that you need to have clarity about exactly what your team member whoever, whether it's a VA or whether it's an in-person team member is going to be doing in your business. And then you need to hire somebody that has the instinct to do those things. Mm -hmm. And so those are the two mistakes that I think I see most of the time, because then people will hire somebody that's more like them because we like people that think like us, we're affinity for people that think like us, but they're not really the right person for us. We need somebody who has the instinct to do the other thing. So one other thing that I think it really struck me for the longest time, I was not willing to let go of certain things like up until a year ago, I was the one editing a lot of our episodes of the podcast and bit by bit, I started to let go of little parts of it. Like, okay, first I let go of the actual editing. Then finally I asked, you know, our editor, I said, can you choose the part that goes at the beginning the teaser? And that was one I wasn't willing to let go of for the longest time. And eventually it was, it was interesting because even though it wasn't the same choices that I would make, it, I, I realized I could have let go of that so much sooner. And I'm curious, one, what you have to say to people about their sort of fear of letting go of it. Um, and two, you know, often you hear the excuse that people say, well, I can't, you know, afford to bring on somebody else, which, you know, in some cases is valid. So how do you address that? And then true, how do you get from, you know, uh, clarity and putting the right people in the right place to scale, which are like four questions, I think, in one I realized. <laughs> All right. So the first one was, how do you wait what did you say the first one was how do you know when how do you know to let something go and how do you how do you let that happen and how do you realize that that's the right thing to do yeah exactly okay so that's the first yes and that's a great question and the the answer to that is because i understand you like what you just said about not letting go i i understand that i'm a total control freak Right. And, and a lot of you listening are probably the same way. We're total control freaks because it's our businesses are a reflection of us. So you have to consider, though, that there are people in this world that can do it better than you, first of all. And if their instinct to do things is more in tune with getting it done than your instinct is, then they always are going to provide a better quality of output than you do, or at least a very satisfactory quality of output. Because at the end of the day, if you spend all of your time doing things like editing and things like that, which somebody else can do perfectly adequately, you are you you have an opportunity cost there. There's an opportunity cost to doing things that somebody else should be doing. Because if you're doing things that somebody else should be doing, you're losing out on the opportunity to create something even better. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the things that we all need to, and I'll, and I'll tell you, I mean, this is something I remind myself on a day-to-day basis is I have to remind myself, yes, it's an opportunity cost when I'm doing things other people need to do. So that's the first thing. Um, you know, the fear of hiring because of funds. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the top three things I would hear from people is the idea that you've hired somebody and they are a cost to you and your business. So, And that would be true if you continuously hire the wrong people, right? If you hire the wrong people, they're not doing the work, they're not doing it well, then yes, they are a cost to your business. But that's why it's so important to figure out how to hire the right team and get the right people in the right seats. Because when you do, the fact of the matter is, is it's a huge scaling opportunity for you. 
you know, there's statistics by the Small Business Administration. And, you know, these are debatable depending on who you're talking to. But like, for example, that the average solo business person makes $45,000 a year. Mm-hmm. The average Fortune 500 company makes $450,000 per person. Mm. So if you think about that, I mean, we're not all striving to be Fortune 500 companies, but even if you look at it, you know, you if you could make 400 and, you know, if you could make $100,000 per employee, that's the scaling that you can't do on your own. And I think that that the, so you have to look at it as an investment, not a cost. But of course, you have to look at it as an investment when you're bringing in the right people and you're thinking about it in the right way. And you're striving to actually have a team and not just people that work for you. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I remember very that, that statistic is something one of my mentors told me. He said, you know, we have this myth of, of solo entrepreneurship. And, and then if you go and look at even some of the biggest personal brands and you actually peek behind the curtain, you see that they're like armies of people that are making all of this happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, right, because we have there's a lot of very well-known personal brands and, you know, people that have been guests on your podcast, for example, um, that you may think that they're doing it all on their own, but that's like absolutely not true. The reason that they're able to do it is because they are operating in their own unique zone of genius, whatever you want to call it. Their absolute best self is being put forth and everybody is doing everything else. And that's what we should all want to do because that is what gives us freedom. Freedom isn't by making it come. It does not come from making more money. Freedom comes from being able to do your best work and be able to step away from all the other things. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about scaling um, revenue as a result of building a team. Like how is that done? So it's done by having the right people in the right place. Um, so for example, um, <laughs> When you have people that are doing the work that is really not best in your wheelhouse, what that does is frees up your mental energy to be able to think through new revenue streams, to be able to reach out to the right business partners or you know affiliate partners or um, strategic relationships. It frees up your mental energy and your time to do it. And so the day-to-day tasks that are the things that just have to get done to provide a quality experience for your audience, for your client, for your customer every single day should be being done by the person or people that you hire to do them so then you have the creative and mental energy to go out and bring in the business one of the things i think i see a lot of entrepreneurs doing all the time for example is they want to hire somebody to do their sales mm-hmm. and if you are bad at sales then that's great and if you hate sales then fine but a lot of entrepreneurs that I know, especially, they're awesome at sales and they're the best salespeople. They're, there's nobody in their company that could be better at sales than they could. So why are you hiring somebody to do sales first? How you hire somebody to do the day-to-day tasks and then you have that much more time to do sales and you can bring in five times the revenue. Mm-hmm. And so it's like sort of thinking about that's how you scale your employees is by scaling your ability to do the best revenue producing tasks. Hmm. Do you think that often people lack clarity about the things that will produce revenue and that gets in their way as well? 
Yes, um, because we a lot of part of it has to do with a lot of entrepreneurs are the chasing the new idea, chasing the new thought process people. And so it's like instead of just sort of focusing on and having clarity about what is in fact going to bring the biggest check. So that's a great example. Like I would encourage every single person to think about and not only think about, but actually look at the data in your company and what tells you what your highest check client customer product or service is, and then really focus on that. Because you like your ability to scale is going to come through increased revenue from the highest check client customer product or service also. So but I see a lot of times like if you like if you sell if I sell 500 things at five thousand dollars and I sell a hundred at ten thousand dollars. Well, I feel like I'm you know, the the $5,000 thing feels great because there's so many of them. But if I could just focus on the $10,000 thing and, you know, double or triple my revenue there, I wouldn't have to deal with all those $5,000 people or $5,000 things. Um, and my energy and time would be freed up and then I could do more and more of 10 and maybe 15, 20 or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter what the dollar amount is. Yeah. It's just, it's just really looking at the data and understanding where your energy and time should be. And I definitely know that most entrepreneurs, they're just sort of being reactive to their business and not being proactive at looking at their data, looking at who their team members are, really wanting to bring the right people in. There's a lot of that. You know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, as when I did an audit of my own sort of, okay, what are the things that produce revenue and what are the things that move the needle on, on you know, our most important metrics? It literally came down to three things that only take about three hours a day total. Um, and that was interviewing people, writing and speaking. And isn't that fascinating? Yeah. And at times it drives me crazy because I'm done at 11 o'clock in the morning and thinking, okay, <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. You know, and I, I've been the same way. So I have two companies uh -huh. and the reason I have a second company is because I was exactly in that same position as you, where I had gone from working a hundred hours a week to five days a month in this one company. And I was like, okay, now what, you know, and I got bored. So I started another company. Wow. <laughs> So I want to ask you um, about books that you have found to be very influential because you mentioned you've read over a thousand books. And I'm curious, rather than the sort of, you know, conventional ones that probably people have heard a thousand times, what are some of the most unusual books that you've read that have had a profound impact on your thinking? Um, you know, so I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan, Narnia, books like that. And those things have had a profound effect on my thinking because it's sort of like the idea of being brave and trying things and um, going out there and just doing things, even if it feels uncomfortable and it doesn't feel good. I'll tell you, those books had a really um, big effect on me as I was growing up. Um, but in terms of a business book that is not really in the, I would say I don't hear people talking about very much is there's a book called The Challenger Sale by Matthew Dixon. Mm -hmm. And I just love 
that book. I love the ideas behind it because it what he talks about is the best people, the best salespeople are people that challenge the way that their customers and clients think, not the people that everybody likes and not the people that everybody, you know, there, there's all there's these different profiles of different types of people that are good at sales. But the best person is somebody that's really willing to challenge the customer and bring value into the conversation through the challenge. Hmm. Not, that's that's another book that I just love. Hmm. So I have two questions for you to wrap things up. Um, one is you mentioned you're a mother and I am curious, you know, what advice you would give to parents who are listening about raising entrepreneurial kids? Uh, that being the first question. Well, that's a great question because I'm trying to raise an entrepreneurial kid myself. Um, and one of the things that I'm doing to do that is I am encouraging my son very much to be his own person. Um, in fact, we've gone so far as decide, to decide to homeschool my son. Um, and the reason is because I don't want him caught up in sort of the trap of conventional thinking. I want him to be able to think in his way and his own unique way. He has to learn still and learning is important. It's absolutely essential actually. But I, want, I don't want him to feel that he has to conform and so I think that in way, the little ways that uh, parents can encourage their children not to have to conform, um, whether, you know, not everybody has the luxury of being able to homeschool or even wants to homeschool their child, but really um, allowing your children and encouraging your children to, to be a nonconformist in whatever way that works for them, I think is really great because it, it sort of is part of what the entrepreneurial mindset needs in order to be really successful. So that would be what I would recommend. Mm. Um, well, I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? When they are really themselves, like authentic to the core, and they're letting that be seen by other people. Um, I, that I think is those two elements are unfortunately not in as much abundance as I would like in this world, but I really would um, like to see more of it. Awesome. Uh, well, where can people uh, find out more about you and your work? Um, you can find me at NicoleWhip.com or whipenterprises.com, which is my corporate website. Um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, I'm everywhere. So feel free to connect with me. I'd love to connect with anybody that would be interested. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, 
that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.